This podcast deals with adult subject matter, including depictions of drug addiction, prostitution, sexual assault, and rape. Parental guidance is suggested. Officer Daniel Holtzclaw with the police department for three years is accused of raping and sexually assaulting women he pulled over while on the job. He said, come on, come on, just a minute, just a minute. I said, sir, I can't do this. I said, you're going to shoot. Tell me your description of him. He's black. He's okay. Black male. What did your daughter tell you? She said, I met this really hot cop. So this is good evidence? Well, you tell me. The following episode contains investigative events which occurred on August 13th, 2014. Welcome back to Bates Investigates, Season 1, Episode 10. I am your host, licensed private investigator Brian Bates, and I am breaking down the case of the state of Oklahoma versus Daniel Holtzclaw. As a member of Daniel Holtzclaw's jury trial criminal defense team, I am presenting this serialized podcast from the perspective of the prosecution, but with the scrutiny of the defense. In the investigative timeline, it's August 13th, 2014, and Detective Rocky Gregory is poring over a stack of papers detailing everyone Officer Daniel Holtzclaw had run through the police department's databases in the last few months. You'll recall, it was in episode nine that accuser Sherry Ellis's name stood out because she had been run through the Varuna databases numerous times over the course of three shifts. On this morning, another name stands out. Just a quick side note, because this person ends up having very little significance to this case, I'm only going to refer to her as Shannon, which is not her real name. According to the printouts, Holtzclaw ran Shannon's name multiple times. Detective Gregory utilized the same law enforcement databases to obtain a telephone number and personal identifying information for Shannon and gave her a call. The following information comes directly from Detective Gregory's official investigative police report. The first thing that stood out to me when I read this report was that the telephone call with Shannon was allegedly not audio recorded. Yet, when Ellis was identified as a possible victim of Daniel Holtzclaw's because of the same suspicious name inquiries, her initial telephone contact was audio recorded. Additionally, according to Detective Gregory's report, he started the telephone conversation with Shannon by stating, quote, I introduced myself and I asked Shannon if she had ever had any problems with an officer." End quote. You'll recall that when Sherry Ellis was contacted, she was told that police had a tip that she had been sexually assaulted by an Oklahoma City police officer, a statement so inappropriate that even she denied it at trial. Both women were flagged because they had been queried by Holtzclaw multiple times, yet only one was recorded and that same woman was the only one told up front that police believed she was the victim of a sexual assault by a police officer. The only difference I could find is the fact that 39-year-old Ellis is a black female with a criminal history who resided on the northeast side of Oklahoma City. While Shannon, 
the one who wasn't recorded and wasn't told they thought she had been sexually assaulted, was a 23-year-old white female professional bikini fitness model who resided in Edmond, an upscale suburb of Oklahoma City. Regardless, Shannon responded to Detective Gregory's vague question with, quote, She said she really hadn't, but her friend Daniel Holtzclaw is in trouble for supposedly messing with girls, end quote. She went on to say that she didn't know any details about the allegations, but that she met Holtzclaw because they were both on the same bodybuilding team at a gym in northwest Oklahoma City. Shannon explained to Detective Gregory that she dated Holtzclaw in January and February of 2014. She said it was a physical relationship and that she considered Holtzclaw's sex drive to be pretty normal and that they had sex about every other day. Shannon was specifically asked if they used condoms or if Holtzclaw ever asked for anything unusual during sex or made her uncomfortable. She replied that they did not use condoms and that she never had any issues with Holtzclaw. Shannon went on to state that she has no problem with Holtzclaw and that they still compete on the same bodybuilding team. However, when asked, Shannon did verify that she has never had any contact with Holtzclaw as a police officer and that he had no official purpose to run her information through the police department's databases. Shannon ended the call by giving the name of another female fitness model on their team that had had a longer dating relationship with Holtzclaw. I couldn't find any information that Detective Gregory or Davis contacted that individual. I'm not going to dwell on this because its significance is very debatable, but a handful of Holtzclaw's past girlfriends were contacted during this investigation, and Holtzclaw definitely had a type. All were extremely attractive, very into working out, and took that passion to a higher level by either competing and or working as fitness models. Holtzclaw also dated women of different ethnicities. When interviewed by investigators, none had anything negative to say about him. Regardless, while Detective Gregory was seeking out bikini models to interview, Detective Kim Davis began her day and her next investigative report with the same opening line she would use time and time again. Quote, Lieutenant Musney gave me a list of several females that he wanted contacted because they could be possible victims of Officer Holtzclaw. When he gave me the list, we had still not found a match to the unidentified female DNA found on Officer Holtzclaw's pants. End quote. One of the names on that list was 53-year-old Florine Mathis. When Detective Davis searched the police database, she learned that Mathis was currently being held in the Oklahoma County Jail on a charge of assault and battery with a dangerous weapon. Detective Davis and Homan drove to the Oklahoma County Jail, had Florine Mathis pulled from her cell, and then escorted to an interview room. The following is the audio from that interview. This original interview is about 25 minutes long. The audio is fairly poor and Mathis's answers are often not audible. For those reasons, I have edited this audio for time and quality. You can watch and listen to the unedited video at this episode's homepage on HoltzClawTrial.com or on the Bates Investigates YouTube channel for season one. I'm Detective Davis, Kim Davis, my partner, Detective Holman. We 
How come you're in here? Just out of curiosity. For assault and battery with a uh, dangerous weapon. Oh, did you kick somebody's ass? <laughs> okay. Here's, we're not here about that. We're not working that case or anything. Um, we received it. We work in sex crimes. Okay. And we received a tip. We were in the middle of an investigation. And during that investigation, a tip came across that you may have been sexually assaulted by an Oklahoma City police officer. Get a chair. Do you want to play next? I don't even remember what day it was. It doesn't matter. We'd like to talk to you about that. And we'll take as much time as you need. I'm going to take some notes if you don't care. Do you remember? Can I ask some questions? Are you ready? Do you remember what month it was? No. Okay. I, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question, and I don't mean this in a bad way, and I'm not judging or anything. Were you, like, were you on drugs that day? Okay. That's, that's fine. What were, you, what were you using that day? Crack. Okay. And I've been drinking. That's all I What's that town? Do you remember, like, were you driving or were you walking? How did you come in contact with him? I was walking. Do you remember where, what street you were walking on? Uh, no, I had just left, like, 16th and Jordan. Okay. And where did you get stopped? Uh, like, 17th or 18th and, like, Cape. Over. It was close to a park. What time of day was it? like six or seven in the evening. In the evening? Okay, tell me this and I'll help me. Time of year, was it dark or was it still light? It was kind of dark. What were you wearing to tell me the weather? Uh, I don't know. I had on some jeans. I had on some black jeans and I can't remember what. I know I had on like a um, tank top with a jacket on. What kind of jacket? Like a coat or like a sweatshirt like type a, of a jacket or something else? It was one of the uh, flannel hoodies jackets. Okay. Tell me a little bit. To, you, you tell me. You left 16th and Jordan. Is that where you were smoking and drinking? Okay. And you start walking where you walking alone? Mm -hmm. Tell me how you got approached. Um... Did he come from behind you, from the side of you, or from directly straight on? It was from behind me. Okay. He stopped to ask me if I had ID. Did he get out of the car to ask you that? Yes. Tell what, what happened next? He ran a check and I came back clear. Did he run a check over the radio or over his computer, or do you know? Now, when he's running you, are you standing outside of the car? Or are you sitting he in the had car? Me sitting on the curb. Did he get back in the car to run you? Yes. Are you on his driver's side or passenger side passenger when you're sitting side. on the car curb? Then what happened? And he started asking me about other girls that was uh, working girls and stuff that was around through that area, if I knew any of them, and 
Um, Did he call them working girls? Oh, he just, he said, are there any, uh, was he out of the He car? more or less pertained like, I was out there working, and I told him I wasn't, and I was on my way home. Was he out of the car when he was doing this? Yes. Have you I ever said, been a working girl before? Years ago. Okay. Go ahead. And I told him I didn't know what he was talking about. And he said something about with me always being in that area that I knew what was going on and stuff like that with the dope houses and the working girls. Where's she standing or sitting? He's standing right in front of me. So you guys are kind of face to face like this while you're having this conversation? But you're still in the back seat of the patrol car? No, I was outside of the car on, sitting on the curb. Oh, okay. Okay. Okay, go ahead. He's telling you that he know, you should know the area and the working girls in the dope houses. Yeah. And I'm talking, I didn't know what he was talking about. And he was like, well, if I had a female officer come search you, would you have anything on you illegal and stuff? And I told him no. Was that the truth? Yes. I remember him uh, telling me I can get up when I got up. He was trying to help, and I told him I can get up by myself. How was he trying to help? Reach out to pull my hand to pull me up. I snatched my hand back because I've had surgery on my left hand. Did he ever touch your left hand? Yes. Did it hurt? Yes. Did he touch it too hard, or just did it hurt because you've had surgery? Because I had had surgery. So now you're standing. Was this whole conversation before that you were sitting and he was standing? Yeah. So now you're both standing and facing each other? Yes. Okay. The only thing else I can remember is him trying to fondle my breasts. When during the contact did that happen? After I had stood up. Are y'all like still on the curb area? Are you in front of the scout car? I'm sitting on the curb and I get up and he's right here leaning up toward this passenger door. Did he just reach out and fondle or was he searching you or did he just reach out and grab you or? Is that because you were high? Now, when you say you remember him trying to fondle your breasts, did he ever touch them? On top of your clothes or underneath your clothes? Do you remember what made him stop? Uh, a car or somebody came out of their house or something. Uh, did he say anything when he touched your breasts? No. Did you say anything? I just told him to let me go. What did he say when you told her that? I just remember walking across the park. Is that kind of by your house? Yes, in the opposite direction. Where do you live? I was staying on 18th and Everest at the time. 18th and what? Everest. Where do you live now? You don't have an app. Have they filed charges on you? In he, like, where are you going when you get out of here? Are you going to prison? 
I don't know. Okay, but you don't go to trial. Hmm. I'm waiting to go to trial. Did he ever try to touch your vagina or your bottom? Did he ever try to get you to touch him? Oh, that's okay. Did when you walked across the park, did he just drive away? From that point on to when did you get arrested and come in here? On the eighth of what? July. Between the time that he did this and July eighth, have you seen him again? You never saw him again? How much time had passed, do you think, from the time this happened to when you got picked up and brought in here? I've been trying to keep it brought down. Give me a description of him. White male, black male, Indian male, Mexican male. He could have been part Hispanic than white. Okay. He was real muscular. Did you notice a name tag? How tall was he? And you don't have to be perfect, just no. kind of. Probably about 5'10. Okay. How much did he weigh? About, probably about two something. And when you say real muscular, like workout muscular or just a big guy? Muscular. Okay. Um, did he wear glasses? Did he have facial hair? No, he didn't have facial hair. If you um, saw him again, could you pick him out of, like if I showed you six pictures of police officers, would you be able to pick him out? When he stopped you, did he turn his lights, the overhead lights on or anything? Yes. He did? Were they on the whole time y'all were talking? That, did he turn them off when he was running you? Anything else you can think about? What color is his hair? Uh, it's either dark brown or black. And like little slight gray. Can you think of anything else about him that describes him? Just uh, the police car was one of the new ones. And the new black and white. Like where it's all black except the letters? Had you ever seen him before this time? Yeah, he stopped me before when I was working. As a prostitute? No. At working what? What do you mean? I was doing make ready on the 16th of Georgia. What's make ready? It's um, remodeling. How long before this contact was that contact? Um, back in like. March of April. Of 2014? Did he run you that time? Did he do anything to you that time? So the time that he touched your breasts was after March or April of 2014? What about anything before that time? I think it was another time that he had stopped me. Probably December or January. And that was like on the 18th. 18th and what? Uh, right around Fonshill. I mean, not Fonshill and Stonewall. Did he run you that time? Yeah. 
are all these times are you on foot mm -hmm. starting so is this going to be the first time you've ever come in contact with him mm -hmm. so from that time to the last time was it ever discussed about hey i see you around or anything mm -hmm. and he ran you that time the first time and the second time and the third time and you came back clear every time well the um one time the last two times i had warrants and he told me to take care of them and i was taking trying to take care of them paying them a little money at a time so the second and third time and the third time being the time he touched your breasts you had warrants mm -hmm. what were the warrants for uh, they were uh, city warrants uh, failure to appear and uh, not paying my uh, tickets and he just told you to take care of him yeah. but only one time he did something to you you didn't tell anybody how come i didn't really have anybody to call why didn't because this will get asked how come you didn't tell the police And that's fine. Any of these times, one, two, or three, did he ever search you and put you in the back of the car? It was one time he put me in the back of the car, and I think that was the first time he stopped me because he had a female come out and um, search me. So the second and third time, he didn't put you in the back of the car? And he didn't search you? Okay. How old are you? There's going to be a lot of questions asked because we have to answer some to the district attorney's office. And you're, you're very young looking and you've got a great memory. That's obvious because of all the information that you've given us. Did you give us everything? That night, did you, would you classify yourself? Were you drunk? Yeah. Were you high? smoking, cracking, drinking. Does it cause you to ever black out though or hallucinate? No, not to hallucinate, I black out. We're very sorry for um, something you've come up against. It's, and we're gonna... it's embarrassing for us that we have to come ask you these questions and tell you when a police officer did that to you. We're embarrassed because we're police officers. But I don't want you to think that, I mean, a lot of people say brothers in blue. If he's out there doing that, it's not right. It's not appropriate. It's against the law, and we won't put up with it. And we want you to know that we won't put up with it. Do you know anybody else that this, I know you didn't tell anybody, but have you heard out on the street or anything of an officer assaulting women? Haven't heard anybody else say anything about it. Do you have any questions? Something's going to be done about this. Okay? We're not going to put up with it. The edited video you just listened to is posted in its entirety on this episode's homepage at HoltzClawTrial.com. 
You can also find a link to the video in this episode's show notes by swiping or tapping on the cover art displayed on your smart device. Honestly, at first glance, there's not a lot to this interview. I do, however, want to point out that Detective Davis takes some liberties when she claims in her official investigative report that when she asked Mathis if she was ever sexually assaulted by a police officer, Mathis, quote, immediately dropped her head and started crying, end quote. You can watch the video for yourself. There is zero evidence that Mathis is doing anything other than lowering her head and pausing as she gathers her thoughts. There are no audible sobs, nor shedding or wiping of tears. Regardless, Florine Mathis, who is known to go by numerous aliases, claims that while she was out walking and under the influence of crack cocaine and alcohol, she came into contact with patrol officer Daniel Holtzclaw. She claims this was the third time that he had stopped her and that during one encounter there was also a female officer on scene. For most of the contact in question, Mathis says she was seated on the curb and that Holtzclaw was outside his patrol car standing next to her. Mathis claims that nothing inappropriate occurred until she went to stand up. At that point, Officer Holtzclaw offered his hand to help her. Mathis said she had previously had surgery on her left hand and that Holtzclaw's grip caused her some pain. So she pulled her hand away and said she could get up on her own. Mathis is fairly vague on what happened next, but generalized that Holtzclaw briefly fondled her breasts on top of her clothes as she got up off the curb. She claims that he stopped because either a car drove by or someone came out of her house. She can't remember which. Mathis said the interaction with Holtzclaw ended about that time and she simply walked away. She stated that since that encounter, she hasn't told anyone and simply was trying to put it behind her. While some may be tempted to dismiss this incident as nothing more than a she said, he said, there are a handful of details worth mentioning that in my opinion should have caused detectives Davis and Holman concern as to the truthfulness of Florine Mathis. So let's take a closer look at her allegations. For starters, Mathis says she has had contact with Holtzclaw on three separate occasions. The first contact was allegedly in December of 2013 or January of 2014, near Northeast 18th and Stonewall. This would have been very near Florine Mathis's sister's home. Mathis gave a detailed account of how Holtzclaw had called a female officer to come to the scene to perform a search upon her. At that point, she said she admitted to the female officer that she had a crack pipe on her and that the officer took the crack pipe and smashed it on the ground. Further investigation by Detective Davis revealed that Mathis was either mistaken or outright lying. While a stop did occur in that area and in that general time frame, Holtzclaw was not the male officer involved. The male officer was identified in court testimony as Officer Jones. More importantly though, there was no evidence that a female officer was ever involved in that stop. Mathis said her second contact with Holtzclaw was near Northeast 16th and Jordan and was either in March or April of 2014. Detective Davis researched this alleged contact and did verify that Holtzclaw did stop Mathis on March 25th of 2014. 
The following is the radio traffic from that stop. Tuesday, March 25, 2, 14, 16, 50, 1, and 34 seconds. Charlie 45, got one to run, I'm to do. 20, 5, uh, 2, 14, 16, 50, 2, and 0 seconds. I got two to one to run, goes with my two aliases. Uh, first, last name is going to be Mathis. That's Mary Adams, Tom, Henry, Otis, Sam. First name is going to be Florence. That's Frank 16, Lincoln, Ocean, Robert, Edward, Nora, Charles, seconds. Edward. Edward is 65 female. Also goes by the last name of Gibson, first name of Lynn. Can you spell Gibson and Lynn, and is it still the same date of birth? And 40 seconds. Yeah, for same date of birth. Last name of uh, Gibson is George Ida Baker, Sam Ocean Nora. First name is Lynn, Lincoln, Young Nora, Nora. Yeah, for it. Charlie 45, she had two CIEWs under Mathis, David Henry 1, Paul Sam 3, Twitter under Gibson Lynn. All right, so far. This stop occurred near Northeast 15th in Jordan. Mathis did have city warrants for her arrest, but Holtzclaw did not ticket her or did not take her to jail. Mathis claims nothing inappropriate occurred during this stop. As for the third encounter detailed by Mathis, the one involving the sexual assault, well, that one's a bit more complicated. Detective Davis was able to verify that Holtzclaw did indeed come into contact with Mathis on April 14, 2014 at about 6.30 p.m. The following is the radio traffic from that stop. 45 out of 15th and Jordan, processor. 15th and Jordan. I'm good. Monday, April 14, 2045. I got one to run. Um, last name of Gibson, George Ida Baker, Sam Ocean Nora, first name of Lynn, Lincoln Young Nora, Nora. Other alias name of Forrest Mathis, uh, social, social 440. Uh, she gave me a date of birth of 1160, As the two sound bites of police radio traffic point out, Despite what the prosecution and the media would like you to believe, patrol car GPS was not necessary to pinpoint the dates and locations of Holtzclaw's encounters. He literally called them in, with no attempt to hide his activities. Holtzclaw's radio traffic was then compared to his patrol car GPS for confirmation. The third encounter, though, the one allegedly involving the groping of Mathis's breasts, does have some significant contradictory details. Mathis said she had left a residence at Northeast 16th and Jordan where she had been drinking alcohol and smoking crack cocaine all day. She claimed she was on foot, headed to her sister's house, and had made it to either Northeast 17th or Northeast 18th Street and North Kate Avenue. That's when Officer Holtzclaw approached her in his patrol car from behind. Right there is a huge discrepancy, and Detective Davis and Homan know it. According to Holtzclaw's radio traffic and patrol car GPS, Holtzclaw actually stopped Mathis near Northeast 15th and Jordan, or 
only about a block away from the crack house she said she had just left. That's a huge difference of almost half a mile. Furthermore, Mathis claims that she was headed west towards her sister's home, which would have only been a couple of blocks from where she claimed she was stopped by Holtzclaw. Yet, she says when the stop was over and just after Holtzclaw had fondled her breasts, she walked in the opposite direction of her sister's residence to a park that was in the immediate area. She then turned around and headed back to her sister's home. Well, if you bring this all up on a map, and I have one published to this episode's homepage at HoltzClawTrial.com, there is no park in the immediate area of the Northeast 15th and North Jordan Avenue stop that we know took place with Officer Holtzclaw. But there is the Riley Leroy Pitts Park on the corners of both Northeast 17th and 18th Streets and North Kate Avenue, and that park is directly in the opposite direction of where she was headed, just as she described. However, GPS records don't show that Holtzclaw ever made a stop in the area she is insisting it happened, on 17th or 18th Street, just off Kate Avenue and next to a park. This is a huge discrepancy. With the misidentification from the first stop, involving an alleged female officer that never actually happened, and now details of the most recent stop that match her description of a location, but not the location where Holtzclaw actually encountered her, this leaves open the very real possibility the event in which she was sexually assaulted actually involved a completely different police officer, if the sexual assault actually ever occurred at all. I feel it's important to point out that Mathis testified during the trial that she estimates she has been arrested some 30 times by different police officers and has a lengthy criminal record that includes time spent in prison. Which brings up another concern I have. Mathis states that Holtzclaw tried to help her up and he inadvertently hurt her hand and then intentionally fondled her breasts. According to her, she just stood there, too scared to say or do anything. While I'd accept that as the truth from many people, I have my doubts when it comes to Florine Mathis. She may be 53 years old, but she is anything but meek or timid. You'll recall, she was in jail for assault and battery with a dangerous weapon when detectives first met with her. At trial, it was revealed that Mathis has multiple arrests for not only assault and battery utilizing weapons, but also physically assaulting police officers. In fact, Mathis agreed at trial that she has been arrested in six or seven different jurisdictions for felony assault and battery upon a police officer. I can't imagine Mathis would just stand there while Holtzclaw or any other officer fondled her breasts along the side of a neighborhood street and in broad daylight. And what about the timing of the stop she claims resulted in her being fondled? While she does state the time as between 6 and 7 p.m., which matches the time for the Northeast 15th and Jordan stop, she claims that the stop happened while it was, quote, kind of dark out, end quote. Sunset for that date is recorded as 8.02 p.m. She was stopped a full hour and a half before sunset. It would have still been plenty light out during the time we know Holtzclaw stopped her. 
Unlike Ligon's, Morris, and Ellis's allegations, Mathis said that at no time was she placed in the back seat of Holtzclaw's patrol car. Instead, she was seated on the curb near his vehicle. And, just like the Morris and Ellis stops, Holtzclaw spent a significant amount of time inquiring as to what the women may have known about the criminal activities in the area, specifically prostitution and drug trafficking. Also, contrary to popular myth, Mathis didn't have any active warrants, the same as Morris and Liggins. There's something else disturbing that stuck out to me. Mathis clearly told detectives that she could pick her attacker out of a photo lineup. But, as we know, Detective Davis refused to show any accusers a photo lineup after Terry Morris failed to pick him out. Detective Davis's investigative notes revealed that she returned to the Oklahoma County Jail the next day. She claims the purpose of that visit was simply to take an oral DNA swab or buckle swab of the inside of Mathis's mouth and to get some basic background information. So, she didn't bother to record the interaction. You probably recall that Detective Gregory used that same excuse when he returned to visit accuser Terry Morris in jail and conveniently neglected to record most of what turned out to be a very incriminating interview. When we get to the trial episodes of this podcast, I'll fill you in on some additional details, including how Mathis conveniently claims the groping occurred on the second encounter with Officer Holtzclaw and not the third, as she stated during this part of the investigation. And one other interesting bit of information. While detectives, prosecutors, and the media all make a huge deal out of the fact Holtzclaw wasn't arresting these women on their insignificant misdemeanor cost warrants, it was revealed that when Mathis testified in court, she had 10 active felony warrants for her arrest and no law enforcement officers or detectives had shown any interest in taking her into custody leading up to her appearance in court. And there's something else very significant about the Northeast 15th and Jordan location, where Mathis was twice previously stopped by Holtzclaw. It's actually within just a few feet of a suspected crack house that Holtzclaw had been keeping an eye on. And the female occupant of that alleged crack house? Well, she is about to insert herself into this investigation as yet another victim. And Mathis claims she not only knows this accuser, but she smokes crack with this accuser and worked as her housekeeper at the time. But that's for the next episode. Here's a quick recap of the red flags from this episode. Accuser Florine Mathis has misidentified Daniel Holtzclaw as the officer that pulled her over in late 2013 or early 2014. Then, she completely made up details about a female officer being called to the scene. Lastly, during the stop where she says she was groped, she can't remember the date, the month, or really any details of the alleged assault, but clearly states she was on either Northeast 17th or Northeast 18th Street and Kate Avenue, directly across from a park. The problem is, that's nowhere near where Detective Davis knows Daniel Holtzclaw actually stopped her. Yet, once again, Detective Davis justifies her actions with the following quote. We'll take our time and we'll verify everything the girl said, or we'll verify everything he said. And the, and 
and that's the way the chips are going to fall. And everything the girls said verified, and nothing he said did. In the next episode, detectives interview accuser Tabitha Barnes, the woman who reportedly employed Florine Mathis as her housekeeper, even though she herself is on 100% government assistance and is living in a home Officer Holtzclaw suspects of being a crack house. I hope you'll join me as I continue to dig deep into the case of the state of Oklahoma versus Daniel Holtzclaw. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe and give us a five-star review. If you'd like to know more and see many of the files used to compile this episode, please visit this season's homepage at HoltzclawTrial.com. You can also follow updates on our Facebook page at In Defense of Daniel Holtzclaw or on Twitter at Holtzclaw Trial. Bates Investigates Season 1, The Daniel Holtzclaw Case, is researched, produced, and edited by me, Brian Bates. This has been a Bug Stomper production. Huh? <laughs> Bugs.